You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. But praise the Lord. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, if you want to hang on to your communion elements, we'll receive communion at the end after the message. And if you didn't get any, we'll have some for you and you can, uh, we'll get it to you. If you came in and you didn't receive a handout to take some notes on uh, today, if you'll hold your hand up, we got those and we'll get one to you. If you need a pen, we got all kinds of stuff, you know, so if you need water, you can go back there and get that yourself, but, uh, <laughs> or coffee. But anyway, I want you to be able to take some notes this morning and uh, pay attention to, uh, you know, track with me really good today because I believe we're going to talk about something that's really important that uh, has to do with you receiving your healing. How many of you know Jesus is still a healer? Say that. Say, Jesus Jesus is is the healer. healer. Say it again. Jesus Jesus is the healer. So I am so glad, and and again, as we said earlier, he is still a healer today. He was a healer during his earthly ministry, and he's still a healer today, and he'll still be a healer tomorrow. And so I'm going to ask Kathy Coda to come up. No, I tell you what, there's a place in the message that I think it'll work. So uh, she's going to come up and preach for me. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. She does have something that the Lord gave her that I want her to share, so... We'll get to that. But let's look at our foundation scripture, and it's there on your notes and on the screen for you, and that's found in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. The scripture, this is Peter's summarizing Jesus' ministry while he was here on the earth. Peter is in Cornelius' house preaching to the first Gentiles that heard the gospel. And uh, so he summed up Jesus' ministry, and he said this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus to heal, to be a healer, and to redeem and deliver people out from underneath the oppression of the devil, for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus to heal. So therefore, it must be God's will for healing to take place. If he empowered Jesus to be able to minister healing to people, then it must be God's will for people to be healed. And the good news is that has not changed. Contrary to what some people, you know, preach and teach is that that passed away with the apostles. And uh, that absolutely is not the truth. It is still a fact today that Jesus is the healer. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, I'm going to just, as a point of introduction, just kind of share something with you. Um, I noticed when I got saved, I I gave my heart to Christ in 1977 and, um, you know, many years ago. And I noticed for the first few years, two or three years after I gave my heart to Christ, that uh, God would show up and do some really spectacular things in my life. I experienced some miracles where I prayed for some things and it happened instantaneously. There were some healings that I received even as a teenager. And then um, as I got into my spiritual growth and I began to grow in the things of the Word of God, I learned how to receive from God and learned how to live by faith. And one thing that I noticed is those spectacular occasions stopped. They 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 uh, didn't necessarily end in that way, but they uh, I saw fewer and fewer of those opportunities. And then you know, so that would bring to bear. Well, does that mean that God is quit being a miracle worker in, in general? Did He quit being a miracle worker in my life? Well, the answer to that is no. And let me explain to you why, because this is going to have a great impact on how you receive your healing. And so in this series, we've talked a lot about different aspects of healing, how it is God's will for you to be healed, how healing has already been purchased 
in God's plan of redemption. It belongs to you. It's already yours. And then, um, you know, we began talking last week about how God moves in healing, the two different streams of healing through the healing anointing and then simply receiving healing by faith in God's word. And so what you're going to find as you grow in the things of God and you begin to mature as a Christian, you're going to find that God will perform the miraculous for you less and less. Now, I'll tell you why in just a second. Now, that doesn't mean he will not use you and use you as an instrument to minister the miraculous to somebody else, particularly people that aren't saved. But God will change directions and move in your life in a little different way. And I think sometimes because we haven't understood the ways of God, that we've um, maybe gotten frustrated with the Lord or perhaps didn't understand some things and it caused some disappointment. So I want to shed some light on some of these things. And by the way, what we're going to talk about works in every area or is the same in every area of your life as a believer. So, you know, how many of you could say this, that maybe when you were a baby Christian, that it seemed like if you had a financial need, miraculously, I mean, things would happen and you would pray and believe God or just pray a simple prayer and God would perform the miraculous and meet that need. How many of you have noticed, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many have noticed that as you have grown in the things of the Lord, it seems to take longer or maybe be uh, take a little more effort, if you will, or, or something along that line? Anybody notice that? I know I have, okay? So I'm going to help unravel that and help you understand because God does that for your benefit. All right, so, so track with me, pay attention to what we're saying. Now, uh, if you're taking notes, write this first point down, and that is this. Very often, God will do miracles to show people who he is and that he loves them very much. You know, I've heard Brother Hagin say and other ministers uh, that healing is God's dinner bell. What God will do is he'll move even with sinners in a miraculous way to minister healing to their physical bodies for this purpose right here, to show them who, that he is God and that he loves them very much. And when I say healing is God's dinner bell, what I mean by that is what God will do is he'll use signs, wonders, and miracles to draw people to the table so that they can receive him and receive salvation. So very often, you know, you'll hear about it a lot of times in other countries. You're hearing about it some now in our country, but in Africa. Anybody ever heard of an evangelist named Reinhard Bonnke? Great man of God. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he would have crusades in Africa with over a million people in one place at one time. You look at the pictures and it's just a sea of people as far as the eye is concerned. And when he would pray for people, healings would sweep the entire group and there would be thousands upon thousands of people that would receive miracles. And I'm not talking about little stuff where somebody got healed of a headache. I'm talking about blind people that can see, lame people that could walk, people that had <clears throat> supernatural uh, replacement, restoration of limbs, and all the, I mean, just spectacular miracles. And so what was God doing? God was pouring out his love and his mercy and grace on those people to show them that he is indeed God and that he loves them. And so after God would move in that way, it was very easy for Brother Reinhardt to give an invitation and people come to Christ because they had visit, visibly, visibly and physically seen Jesus move in such a dramatic way. Now, just buckle your seatbelts because you're going to begin to see some of that happening in our country. Uh, I will say this. The Bible says where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. So listen, and, and I don't like it. I'm, I'm with you on this. As our country draws further away from God, you're going to see God moving more dramatically. 
I said, you're going to see God moving more dramatically because we're, we've got a generation of young people coming up in, in our country. I'm just talking about in the United States that, that didn't grow up in the days when you, you went to church on Sunday and you didn't do anything else on Sunday and it was all out of reverence for God. And you know, the way that those of us who were old enough can remember that You've got two or three generations that have grown up without that and therefore have no awe and respect and reverence for God. And so what you're going to begin to see is God moving in dramatic ways to prove that he is God and that he loves people tremendously. And you'll see God begin to move in that way in order to draw them to his presence so that they can be saved, that they can receive Christ, all right? I'm excited for that. I don't like the direction that our country is going in, but I'm excited because it means that God is going to show up and do some great things. I said God is going to show up and do some great things in the earth. Are you excited about that as well? All right, so let's look at some scripture to kind of support this point that we just made. Let's go to Jesus' ministry in Matthew 15, verses 29 through 31. And uh, my clicker is not working, y'all, if you can help me. For some reason, there you go. All right, Matthew 15, verses 29 through 31. Kind of stay with me, Connie, if you will. It says this, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. So we, we've got a whole variety of ailments and, that these people were suffering with. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed a few of them. He healed just the special ones that deserved healing. No, he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. And that's what's going to happen, and that's what is happening. People will be amazed. When God shows up and works that way, people get amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking. The blind could see again, and here's the end result. And they praised the God of Israel. So what we see here is that, that through the ministry of Jesus, God reached out to people out of his love, his mercy, and his grace, and the effect is exactly what God desired, is that it got people's attention over on God, and then they began to acknowledge him, and they praised him. And that's what he's after. Let's look in, the, the, in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Wait a minute, I, got, I think it's working now. <laughs> My co-pilot was helping me back there. All right, look at Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, and it says this, Then Philip, who was Philip the evangelist, he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. He preached the gospel. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Notice the miracles were so dramatic that you could hear about them and you could see them. And it says, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. And we see here that through Philip's ministry, a whole city was impacted because of what God did. And again, we're going to see that. Uh, you know, I, the point I'm trying to make is, is these stories that we've heard from Africa and some of these, you know, countries like that are wonderful, but we're, we're going to begin to see those same types of things happening in our own borders, all right? And here's what's going to happen. It's going to cause great joy in the city because people are going to be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So for unsaved people, God will perform the miraculous. For baby Christians or new followers of Christ, God will help them with miracles because of his love and mercy. How many of you know sometimes with a newborn baby, they can't do a whole lot for themselves? Okay, you know, if you've been around a, a baby, uh, I'm talking about a newborn up until toddler age, you know, you pretty much have to do everything for them. Well, God is a good father. And uh, as we're baby Christians, he will do certain things in order to help us. But how many of you know when you reach, 
your child reaches 12, 13, 14 years old, you don't give them a bottle anymore. If you do, we need to talk, okay? <laughs> All right? So what I'm saying to you is as you grow and mature in your walk with the Lord, it seems as though the Lord begins to change direction in how he ministers to you. And why is this? And I'm going to make a statement, and I don't want to lose you, but listen carefully to this statement, and that is this. Miracles, as wonderful as they are, are not God's highest and best. Let me say that to you again. Miracles are wonderful, and I don't want to ever, you know, imply that somebody should draw back from the miraculous. But what I'm saying to you is, God has a better way than just showing up and performing miracles all the time. So if, if miracles are great, but there's something better, I want to know about the better, don't you? I said, don't you? Okay. So what happens, though, is, is if you are in need of healing, because we're talking about healing, and specifically Jesus as the healer, if you study the ministry of Jesus and you look at all the wonderful things that happened in his ministry, you will have a tendency to think, unless it happens for you that way, then healing did not take place. And that's simply not the case, all right? So let's, let's look at this next point. Write this down, please. And that is this. It is just as much healing whether it takes time or not. See, a, a miracle is instantaneous most of the time. There are some ongoing miracles. Let me tell you about an ongoing miracle. You remember how God took care of the children of Israel? He fed them with what? Manna and quail. How long did he feed them with manna and quail? 40 years. Is that a natural occurrence? No. So that was a miracle that lasted for 40 years. So therefore, it wasn't necessarily instantaneous. It was progressive. It lasted a long period of time. But very often in Jesus' ministry, what we would see are instantaneous miracles where people would come to him. He would minister to them, lay hands on them, speak to them, whatever the case was, and we would see instantaneous results. But what happens is if you are walking with the Lord and, you know, you look at that and you don't understand what I'm talking to you about today, it will cause some frustration because you will begin to wonder, Jesus, how come those people were able to receive it instantaneously and I can't? Okay? So here, the first thing I want you to see, and that's this point, and that is this. Healing is healing, whether it's an instantaneous miracle or it takes some time. So I don't want you to think that because you don't receive an instantaneous miracle that you're not receiving healing, okay? Now, let me go and give you some scriptures to support what I'm saying. I, you know, I like to build my case. So let's go to 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 5 through 7. This is a story where you have King Hezekiah, who is king over Judah. By this time, the kingdom is split. And Hezekiah was a godly man. He loved God. He, he led the, the kingdom of Judah to follow after God's principles. He did the best that he could. He made a couple of mistakes, but, but he did the best that he could. But what we see is that he got sick, and we don't really know what the sickness was. He got very, very sick. Matter of fact, he got so sick that a king in a neighboring nation heard that he was sick and, and reached out and sent well wishes and all this kind of stuff. So it was a very well-known thing and it was pretty pronounced. And so Isaiah was the prophet of the day. And so Isaiah was called to uh, minister to Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, had a word from the Lord from Isaiah where he said, get your house in order because you're getting ready to die. Now that wasn't and people read into that. God wasn't saying, get, get your house in order because I'm getting ready to kill you. That's not what God said. God, how many of you know God knows all things? Okay. So what he was trying to do was help Hezekiah. So he told him, he said, get your house in order because you're getting ready to die. It's just a fact. So Hezekiah, after Isaiah left, Hezekiah 
began to pray and repent, turned his face to the wall and began to cry out to God, the Lord heard his prayer. And so this is where we pick up. So before Isaiah even got out of the house real good, the Lord told him, go back and tell Hezekiah something. So he says, go back to Hezekiah, verse five, the leader of my people, tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears I will heal you, and three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. Pause right there. How many days was it going to take before he would get up, get out? Three days. Then I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you in this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant, David, then Isaiah told the servants, he said, make an ointment from figs, and so they did. So Hezekiah's servants spread the ointment over the boil, and Hezekiah did what? He recovered. So this is a healing that took place. God told him, I will heal you. But we know that two things took place. Number one, it was going to be three days before Hezekiah was able to get up and go and worship in the temple but then we also see here in this last verse that Hezekiah did something that we forget about sometimes in that he recovered. Everybody say recover. See, a lot of times when we release our faith for healing, there is not an instantaneous miracle, but there is the wonderful work of God called recovery that begins at that moment, but it takes time, okay? In Hezekiah's case, it took three days, all right? So look at another instance in John chapter four, even in Jesus' ministry. In John four, verses 46 through 52, it says, and as Jesus traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see signs, miraculous signs and wonders? In other words, Jesus is trying to get him to do what I'm telling you, and that is get your faith off of the miraculous and just believe that I am the healer, okay? So the official pleaded, and I'm stuck. There he goes. Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Now, I want to just, you know, just a little side point. Notice the man did not get upset because Jesus did not say, I'm, I will come to your house. All right? He just gave the word to the man. The man believed it. We know that he believed it because he turned and started towards the house. He didn't, he didn't bother Jesus anymore. As far as he was done, it was as, as far as he was concerned, it was as good as done. Okay? And so while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, now notice the wording on this. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. So recovery began when Jesus spoke the word and the boy began to get better at that moment. And of course, it took the father a little bit of time to get home so by the time he got home, the healing had progressed to the point where the boy was pretty much back to normal. But notice it was not what we would consider to be a miraculous healing. It was something that the Bible calls recovery. Okay? All right? Now, let's look at what Jesus said in Mark the 16th chapter, verses 15 through 18. And right before he ascended to heaven, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. 
In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Notice this. They will lay hands on the sick and they will do what? Say it again. See, a lot of us, you know, we've been bold enough and, you know, we believe that we were obeying the Lord and we prayed for someone maybe who was sick. And when an instantaneous miracle did not take place, we began to doubt as to whether God would perform his word. When in reality, Jesus said that we could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. Okay? So what, what am I trying to get you to see? Write this down, please. When we are always looking for the instantaneous miracle, we miss God's wonderful way of healing called recovery. See, when you, as a believer, you know, if you, if you begin to have symptoms in your body and you don't feel good and, and it looks as though you're, you're getting sick and you, you pray and you, you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I believe that you took this sickness and disease and by your stripes I'm healed. And so, Father, I believe I receive my healing. Sometimes what begins to happen is because it's not instantaneous, we begin to doubt. Okay? All right? Now, why is that or, or why does God seemingly move in a different way, and why is this process of recovery better than an instantaneous miracle? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm getting ready to tell you, all right? Write this down, please. Receiving from God by the process of faith is better because you learn how to obtain and maintain from God what he has said in his word. Let me say it to you again. Receiving from God by the process of faith is better because you learn how to obtain and maintain from God what he has said in his word. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said in, in our, our sermon that, um, that if the healing anointing is not present to perform a miracle, God's word always works. See, here's the thing, and I, I, let me just get to the punchline, and then we'll continue building our case. What God, and the reason this is better, is because what God would rather have you do is use your faith and receive your healing, even if it is recovery, because if you know how to do that, you will be able to maintain your healing versus someone who just shows up where the power of God is present. You know, for instance, in the, the Reinhard Bonnke crusade that I was mentioning earlier, when uh, those people showed up and God moved in their life and healed them supernaturally and instantaneously and miraculously, if they go home and they get attacked with sickness again, they don't know how to get well. And unless God shows up to perform another miracle, they're not going to get well unless they learn how to obtain and maintain what God is doing in their life. That's why it's better. See, God wants you to be able to receive from him, understand how you receive from him, because he knows that as long as you're in this earth, life is going to happen. And if you will learn what you did the first time, to get healed, then when sickness tries to attack you again, you can repeat the process and maintain what is yours. That's why it's better. Okay? Are, are you listening to me? Okay. So let's look at a scripture in 1 Timothy. And maybe, you know, this is something we don't like to talk about all the time, but let's talk about it. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul told Timothy, he said this, fight the good fight of faith. Now notice he didn't say fight the good fight with your spouse. <laughs> that is not good, okay? Fighting with people is not good. But there is a good fight, and that is the fight of faith. He said fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, 
to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we have to learn, we must learn how to receive our healing from God through fighting the good fight of faith. Now I'm going to say this to you, and I don't mean this to be a downer, but it's just true. F.F. Um, F. Bosworth, in his book that he wrote uh, uh, over 100 years ago called Christ the Healer, he said this, in all of his ministry, he noticed that when people received their healing, whether it was miraculous or receiving it by faith, as we're talking about today, that he said, you can always rest assured there will be a counterattack, meaning that the, the devil does not give up that easily. And I can tell you that from my own ministry. There have been people that I have prayed with and prayed for and we've walked together and uh, diagnosed with cancer. And I'm talking about in bad shape. And they receive their healing, they get better. They even get pronounced uh, in remission by medical science, okay? You know what remission is sometimes? It's just that they don't want to say it's been a miracle, so they just say, well, the cancer's in remission, all right? You know, and I get that, all right? But I have also seen that time and time again, there will be a counterattack, and somehow, someway, cancer will try and attach itself to their body again. And because they didn't necessarily learn what to do the first time, they don't know what to do the second time, okay? And so, I, you know, I have to try my best to step in and minister to them and try and teach them the word and teach them how to receive again by faith. And I'm willing to do that and, and more than happy to do that. But how many of you know it's very hard to build a house in the middle of a hurricane, Okay, what do I mean by that? When the pressure is on and, you know, you've got doctors giving you a bad report, and thank God for doctors. They're just doing what they're trained to do. But they're, they're giving you a bad report. They don't give you much hope. And, uh, you know, so then in the middle of all that, plus when physical symptoms start showing up, you're in the heat of the battle at that point. And it is very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult to build your house of faith in the middle of that storm. That's why I tell people all the time, the best time to receive your healing is when you're not sick. Let me say it over here. Maybe these folks didn't hear me. I said the best time to get in the word and build your faith for healing is when you are not sick. See, a lot of times we're crisis motivated. We wait until the pressure's on and then we get into the Bible. Okay, and then we want to pray, and then we want to get help, and you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm not despising, despising that at all, all right? But what I'm saying is there is a better way. Can I say this to you? Let me take it out of the, the realm of physical healing for a moment. You know, it's very easy, easier to believe God for prosperity when all your debts are paid off and you don't have very many bills. It's real easy to get in the Word and find out how blessed you are and how God wants to take care of you and how He wants to use you to minister to other people. You want me to tell you when it's hard to believe God for prosperity is when you're up to your eyeballs in debt and you owe everybody and their brother and, and you're just struggling. It's difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. And, but here's the good news. God is a merciful God. He'll show up in either situation and help bring you out, it's just harder, okay? So, again, Timothy said, or Paul writing to Timothy said, fight the good fight of faith. So, Paul is telling Timothy that whatever we receive from God, understand this, there is going to be a fight for it, okay? Now, maybe not necessarily a, a fight to receive it, but the fight might come when it comes time to maintain it. Are y'all listening to me? Okay. 
Let me, let me just draw your attention to the Old Testament for just a moment. Just to, you know, we're not going to look at a scripture per se, but, um, you know, once the children of Israel, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they get to the promised land, they cross through the Jordan, and they get over the Jordan, and they're there in the pro, uh, promised land, and they begin to occupy and live there, and stuff begins to happen for them, good stuff, you know, where they get crops that are coming up, and and uh, their harvest are coming out, and they're beginning to walk in the blessing and promise of God that he brought to them. Well, what you will see time and time again in the Old Testament is this, that when that would begin to happen, there were people that would come and try and steal their stuff from them. You know, I, I, I was reading not too long ago about how uh, there was a group of farmers that were, you know, successful in their farming. They were reaping good crops. And all of a sudden, once a year or twice a year, the Philistines had come ripping through and demand everything that they had, uh, you know, grown in their harvest and, and would steal all that stuff for them, from them. And see, what the Philistines knew is they knew when the harvest time was, so they knew when to go back and to attack them each time to get whatever it was that the people had produced. Well, let that be a spiritual example for us. When you're walking in the things of God and you're receiving from God and God begins to bless your life and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're healthy, your finances are beginning to recover and things are going along, guess what? You have an adversary that is bent on stealing that from you. What did Jesus say? He said, the thief comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So what does that mean? And I'm not trying to, you know, somebody said, well, pastor, I was hoping for a more positive message. I am positive the devil's going to come and try and steal your stuff. Okay? But don't, don't get sad because of that. You know why it's called a good fight? Because you win if you will fight the fight. All right, so you receive what God has for you by faith, but there is a fight to lay hold of it, Paul told Timothy. And in that laying hold of it, you know, that's almost a, a country phrase. You could make it a country phrase. I'm going to make it a country phrase. You know, we used to say in the country, get a hold to it. You know what that means? You get a hold of something and you don't, let go, okay? And so lay hold means to grab it, hold on tight, and to get a hold of it in order to obtain, possess it, and refuse to allow anything or anybody to take it from you, okay? So write this down, please. In the fight of faith, we need to learn to hold on to what is ours, now, I want to ask you a question based on, and most of you have been here throughout this series. Is healing a promise from God in the New Testament? No, it is not. Healing is a fact of your redemption. Just like salvation is not a promise in the New Testament. Salvation is a bought and paid for fact. All you have to do is receive that fact. Healing and salvation were a promise in the Old Testament because Jesus hadn't come yet. But in the New Testament, on this side of the cross and on this side of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, salvation is an established fact. Jesus will never go to the cross again. He'll never have to pay that price again. It is a fact of your redemption that you are redeemed. Did you know salvation has already been bought and paid for for every man, woman, boy, and girl walking the face of the planet right now? Whether they receive that or not is up to them. Well, I'm going to say this to you. Healing is a bought and paid for fact of redemption. Jesus will never purchase your healing again. He did it once and for all. 1 Peter 2.24, who in his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness and by his stripes you were healed. If you were healed, you are healed. Okay. All right. So 
That already belongs to you. Now, here's where I want Kathy to come up. I got your, your thing right here. So she got a word from the Lord. You got this? There we go. Don't preach. Okay. I'll do that. All right. <laughs> okay. I was sitting at my desk and the Lord said to me, why are you asking for healing? Healing's already yours. Why do you ask for something you already have? The woman with the issue of blood didn't ask for her healing. The man dropped, dropped through the ceiling didn't ask for his healing. Why? Because it was part of the covenant. The centurion soldier asked for healing for his daughter, but he didn't have a covenant. It, wait, he was a Roman, so he was outside of the covenant relationship with God, okay? You don't ask for something that, you all, that already belongs to you. Reach out and take it. Tell the devil to take his hands off of something that belongs to you. Okay? Simple, 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 but so profound. Okay? So we, one of the biggest things that the Lord wants to establish in this series is exactly that. Healing is not something that you're trying to obtain Healing is something you already have and are. It's just the devil wants to take it from you. Now, here's what the devil also wants to do, okay? Uh, let me write this down at this point, okay? Healing is already yours, and the enemy would like to keep you from receiving it or take from you what is already yours. Same thing is true with salvation. You know, when you gave your heart to Christ... You ever, you know, maybe soon after you got born again, didn't feel too saved, and what does the enemy tell you? You really didn't get anything from God. God really didn't save you, okay? No, you, well, I know what you did before you prayed that prayer. He tries to tell you stuff like that to talk you out of what belongs to you. And the same thing is true where healing is concerned, okay? So what we have to do is we've got to... Uh, lay hold of it and refuse to let it go. So what the devil does is he comes to my mind and he tells me, I'm not going to get it. In other words, when I try and receive my healing, I'm not going to get it. He should be saying, you have it and I want to take it. But he doesn't want you to know you already have it. If he can convince you of that, then half the battle is won for him. Am I helping anybody? Okay. So the way that he postures himself is to try and convince you that you do not have it. And if he can convince you of that, then he's already won. Okay. But if you get in the word and find out what already belongs to you, and you do like Paul told Timothy and lay hold of it and fight the good fight of faith to keep hold on it, it's yours, okay? Now, how do we begin fighting this good fight of faith? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're gonna begin to get into this, all right? So here's the first thing that you need to do. Write this down, please. You must know, help me out, Connie. You must know, 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 K-N-O-W, know. You must know what the will of God is in your situation. You've got to know that. So let me ask you a question. Is it God's will for everybody to be saved? So what you're telling me is there's not one person that God has said, mm -mm, I don't want to save them. No, the scripture says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's God's will that every person be saved. Well, why is it that we're not quite so sure where healing is concerned? Because we're not established on what the will of God is. We haven't gotten into the word to the same degree that we did for salvation to understand that it is God's will for every person to be healed. So you must know what the will of God is in your situation. Yeah, I believe Smith Wigglesworth said this, faith begins where the will of God is known. 
You cannot have faith to receive from God beyond the point where you are unsure of what the will of God is. So if there's a question mark back here somewhere, your faith is never going to go beyond that question mark. So what you got to do is you got to eliminate the question mark. So how do we find out what the will of God is? Huh? Say it. Say it again. From what? Some of y'all are scared. <laughs> From the word. You go to the word to find out what God's will is. Here's what you need to understand. God will never say something and will something different. This is his will. And if he says it, then it is his will. If it's, if it's stated in the book, then it's his will. Okay, so we have to learn that what is the will of God and become established in that. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The scripture says this. Now this is the confidence, say confidence. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if you want God to hear your prayers, the best way to do it, the only way to do it, is make sure you're praying in line with God's will. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So if you want every, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to tell you how to get every prayer answered, every, every one of them, okay? Know what you're praying about and that it is the will of God for you to have that. If it is the will of God for you to have that, then God will hear your prayer. And he just said, point blank, and you can know that you have the petitions or the things that you have asked for from God. It's a done deal. That's a drop the mic moment, okay? Pray according to the will of God and God will hear you. If he hears you, you get the answer. It's that simple. All right, now, what I want to do is I want to go real quick in the time that we have left to a story that you're very familiar with found in John, the 11th chapter, and it is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, verses 39 through 41. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I'm going to, you remember how Jesus was in another town. They came and told him, Lazarus, your friend, and he was a family friend, came and told him, your friend Lazarus is sick. So the disciples were kind of standing there going, okay, are we going to go and so we can minister to Lazarus and, and my paraphrasation? But Jesus said, no, we're not going to go. Then somebody else came and said, don't bother, he died. The disciples still looked at Jesus and said, well, are we going to go now? He said, why do we need to go now? He's just asleep. And they laughed at him, not the disciples, but the people that heard him, Okay. And so, you know, he rolls up on the scene and Mary and Martha come out and have a conversation with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus tells him, well, didn't I tell you I am the resurrection and the life? In other words, what he's saying is don't sweat it. I got this. Okay. And they didn't really believe him. They just kind of went along with it. And so they, they roll, they get up to the, the graveyard. And by the way, graves in that day weren't like what we have today. Uh, the tomb, I've actually seen the tomb, not in person, but seen a video of it. The tomb where Lazarus was raised was actually a hole deep in the ground that had a circular staircase that came up out of it. And there were burial chambers at the bottom of that staircase and, of course, all carved out of stone. So when Jesus rolls up on the scene, I don't want you to think that it's a uh, little cave, and there's a rock in front of it. No, this man is in the ground, not buried, but in a tomb in the ground in a circular staircase that comes up to come out into the daylight. So let's look at this. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, now you can tell she's really believing here. By this time, there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Like somebody smelling a little bit is going to hold up the power of God. Okay? You know, bless her heart. She's trying. So Jesus said to her, did I not say to you 
that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And I want you to pay close attention. What do I say to you? Pay attention to the... So pay attention to what Jesus says here. He said, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Interesting. Why didn't Jesus say this? Father, I thank you that you're getting ready to raise this man from the dead. Father, I thank you that you're getting ready to perform a humongous miracle here. Father, I thank you that you're getting ready to razzle-dazzle the people. No, he simply said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. Now, based on what we read in 1 John chapter 5, that if God hears your prayers, then it's as good as done, right? So it must be that Jesus has already prayed about this situation and has the confidence, everybody say confidence, to know that it is as good as done. So Jesus steps up, and of course you know the story. He said, Lazarus, come forth. But here's what I want you to see. Write this down, please. The confidence that you have in faith is the answer is not found in the answer itself. I know that sounds like a tongue twister, but in the fact that God heard you. See, if your faith is in the answer, your faith is in the wrong place. Your faith needs to be in the fact that God heard me when I prayed about that. Because if your faith is in the answer, if the answer shows up immediately or two or three days down the road, your faith will be shaken. But if your faith is in, I prayed, God heard me, and I know I've got what I prayed about. That is the confidence. Okay, so your position has to believe that you have prayed, you believe God heard you, you believe he answered you, and that you believe that you have, not going to get, you have the answer before you ever see it in the natural. So what Jesus was saying when he rolled up on Lazarus' tomb and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. It was as good as done in the heart of Jesus that Lazarus was alive. As far as Jesus was concerned, the man still wasn't laying in the tomb. It's just it hadn't physically happened yet. Okay, so look at verse 42 in chapter 11. And I know that you always hear me because of the people who are standing by. I said this when he told them that he was dead. He said that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Now, I want you to get this picture. The reason I told you about Lazarus' tomb was, can you imagine, here's this man that's still bound up with grave clothes. He can't walk, can't move, and he comes floating up that circular staircase and out to the daylight. And Jesus had to tell them, uh, loose him and let him go. That is something else when the power of God shows up and causes someone to float up out of a grave, up a circular staircase, out to the daylight, and somebody has to tell him, uh, take those grave clothes off of him so he can walk and move around. And they did it. Okay? So what is my point? Here's the, here's the thing that I want you to see. Verse or Number three is this. We receive by faith when we connect with God, not when the answer shows up. When do you connect with God? When you receive, when you pray and receive and believe that he heard you. That is your faith connection. When that faith connection comes up and takes place, you know that it is yours, not when the manifestation shows up. So when I go to God and I say, Father, I thank you that you bore my sicknesses, carried my diseases, and by his stripes I am healed. In Jesus' name, I receive my healing. Is it God's will for me to be healed? Yes. Did God hear what I just said? Yes. 
Was the healing power of God released into my situation? Yes. But what if it doesn't take place instantaneously? It doesn't matter because I'm still healed. Whether it's an instant miracle or not. Okay? So look at number four, and I'm wrapping up. Number four says this. When you have prayed, speak the word of God and give praise to God as though you already possess the answer. This is why I encourage you, keep a prayer journal. Uh, so when you pray and you believe God and receive something from the Lord, write it down. Make a note of it. Because you can always go back to that and say, no, on this date, at this time, I received my healing. I am healed. I am healed. I'm healed, Lord. I thank you for it. And then you can just praise God. Father, I praise you that I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Now, this is getting over, and this is what we'll talk about in the lessons to come called the praise cure. There is a cure that comes about as you praise. But I want to show you one last scripture and the power of doing what I just got through telling you, and that's found in Romans chapter 4 and verses 20 and 21, talking about Abraham. Would you say that Abraham and Sarah were facing an impossible situation? You know, it's not normal for grandma and grandpa to have babies, especially when one is 99 and the other is 89. That ain't normal. That doesn't happen. Okay? All right, so they have their natural physical bodies screaming at them saying, it ain't going to happen. But not only that, Sarah had been barren all her life. She had never had kids, never been able to have kids. So you got that circumstance telling them it ain't going to happen. And then you got everybody else telling them, well, you know, you're about half crazy. You know, you're about, you get a little senile there, Gramps. Come on, you, you, you can't have a son. That, it just isn't normal. That just doesn't happen. Okay, so what did Abraham do? Well, verse 20 tells us this. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. In other words, he laid hold of what belonged to him and he fought the fight of faith. How did he do it? It says that he became strengthened in his faith. How? By giving glory to God. What does that mean? Every chance he got. Father, I thank you. I'm a, I'm a father of a multitude. God, I'm in covenant relationship with you, and you made a promise to me, and if you made that promise to me, it belongs to me. So therefore, I'm a father of many nations. Out of me is coming an entire nation, and through that nation, the entire world is going to be blessed. Thank you, Father. And the more he did that, the stronger his faith got. What's that, what's that telling us? When you have received from the Lord and you say, Father, I believe that I receive my healing right now in the name of Jesus. If you will spend time praising and giving glory to God for your healing, your faith will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. Let me ask you a question. Did Abraham and Sarah have a baby? Yes, they did. Now, did it happen overnight? No, it did not, but it happened. So I want you to understand that, if it, that, that the instantaneous miracle is wonderful, but getting the promise of God or receiving what belongs to you from God, standing in faith for it and staying with it until you receive the full manifestation of it is better because you will know how to do it the next time when life shows up, whatever the circumstance might be, you will know how to navigate through that and be able to receive from God again and again and again and again as long as necessary, as often as necessary. Amen. Have I helped you today? Praise God. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. I thank you that your word is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Jesus called it a seed. And so, Father, I thank you that the seed of your word has gotten deep down in the hearts of these, your precious people, the people of Spring Hill Church, and it will produce a harvest. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, that faith has grown today. 
that Father, your people are gonna dare to stand up and receive what already belongs to them. They're gonna lay hold of it and they're gonna refuse to surrender it to the enemy who wants to steal it from them. Father, I thank you right now that your healing is available to each and every one, that the healing power of God is at work in us right now. And we believe it, we thank you for it, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.